Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome back to Secret Records, uh, where we talk about stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path for Homo Superior. Uh, this time we are talking about the third season of Fargo, uh, and I hope you've had a chance to listen to our podcast about seasons one and two. Uh, I'm Kalen. And I'm Brent Wingate. And on this season, it's set in 2010 and is centered around the escalating conflict between the brothers Emmett and Ray Stussy. Ray hires a parolee, Maurice LaFay, to steal a stamp from Emmett Stussy, who lives in Eden Valley. But LaFay accidentally goes to Eden Prairie and ends up killing Enos Stussy, triggering once chief, now deputy Gloria Burgle's investigation into all these affairs. Meanwhile, Emmett Stussy and his business partner, Seifeltz, have accidentally gotten themselves wrapped up in VM Vargas business dealings and definitely unethical, borderline illegal loan practices. Lives are lost, and Ray Stussy's girlfriend, Nikki, becomes a total badass. All right, Kaylin, we're on season three. Uh, it is so much Noah Holly to consume. The list <laughs> two are classic. Why is this the best? Um, do you mind if we start off, why is this the worst? Sure. Flip it around. Yeah. So um, I'll say why this is the worst is it is on a lot of superficial levels, far too similar to the first season uh, for me. Um, you know, season one takes place in 2006, 2007, season two, 1979, season three is 2010. Uh, from a time difference, it's not a huge shift from season one. Um, you have uh, your main protagonist is a uh, incredibly competent, incredibly intelligent uh, woman police officer uh, who has a uh, supervisor that doesn't believe her. And you have a like malevolent Mephistopheles type, uh, almost otherworldly villain uh, like you did in season one. Um, so if you watch these seasons back to back like we did it's just you, you start seeing a lot of these ticks uh being picked up again and i think we've talked about before uh on this podcast as well as off podcast when you start seeing the seams uh, of any piece of art uh it just sort of remove removes you from uh really really enjoying it yeah i think um my reason for this being the worst is not too dissimilar from your own I think on this rewatch of it, I liked it a lot more than I did before. And I think you hit the nail on the head that when you're watching it the first time, it feels too old and stale. And that stuff comes glaring out when really the joy of this season is then its subtlety. There's a lot of different elements to it that I think work better, lines that you hear ways people talk about different subjects that, that we'll obviously get into, but it, it it's something, it, it should count as a penalty against the show that you have to rewatch it to enjoy it. Um, I think it should be enjoyable on its first go at the very least. Um, so why do you think it's the best? Um, so kind of the mirror image of what I just said about why it's the worst. If you take this show in isolation, which is really tough. Um, in some ways, it is probably the most, um, I think, coherent season of Fargo thus far. 
Uh, I think definitely more than season two, which I absolutely love, but season two is a beautiful mess. Um, season one, you know, um, is, is absolutely phenomenal, but in some ways, like, because it uh, kind of leaned into some of the archetypes that I talked about, it, it, in some ways it kind of improved it. Like on, upon the rewatch, I was much more uh, intrigued by someone like VM Varga, who we're going to get into uh, a little bit more as the villain, as compared to Lorne Malvo. Uh, and I think um, there is something utterly otherworldly and creepy about Varga that even Malvo can't re really come across. Uh, I think the, um, you know, when you have the, you know, in Fargo, it's a Coen Brothers trope, but definitely uh, uh, Noah Hawley makes it his own of the sort of the, the hapless individuals who are caught in a maelstrom of events that they can't, they, they try to control, but they can't. I think this season, uh, those characters are much more heartbreaking. Ray Stussy, for example, I yeah. think, uh, you know, he's pathetic at times, he's sad, but like, he's an all right guy. Compare that to, um, oh gosh, what's his name in season one? Uh, Lester Nygaard. Uh, Lester, you know, is more of like the kind of the Walter White type where you like clearly like he's sort of mild mannered at first and then you see his sort of descent into uh, being much more self-actualized, but you just see that he's actually just like a terrible person. Um, so there's a much more of a humanizing factor, I think in this season uh, and it made me, um, it endeared me to a lot more of the characters. Yeah, what about I, you? What do you think is the best? Certainly, um, we can't, I think that this season does a very good job with the relationships that people experience. And I think that Ray and Nikki's relationship, it, it, do, it does come across as being a love. Emmett and Ray's rivalry, the degree to which that they like try to one-up each other constantly and they don't see what the end game looks like. They're just doing one thing that's worse than the other person. Um, size, rage about Ray, um, constantly hating him and just despising him as a person and never thinking there's, that he has any possibility to change or that he is someone else. But really the, the one person, who, the one character that's I think the absolute best is VM Varga. This is such a, well-constructed villain that it is definitely one of, I think, the top villains um, on TV, period. Mm -hmm. um, he is this fantastic con man. And I think, uh, you know, watching the show, I was thinking a lot about why is he so compelling? Because everything about him is either bland or disgusting. He um, he has just gross teeth that he's constantly picking at and are bleeding. He only wears these terrible gray and beige suits to not be noticed. But the thing that I think is so effective about him as a con man is that he, the way most people, I think, when, you, when you're told to imagine a con man, you think of someone who is slick, someone who is they are polished, they are fast talking, and he moves very slowly. And it often talks in ways that you have to kind of like follow, they're, they're circuitous ways of speaking. Um, and it just makes him incredibly charming. The fact that he has that whole, there's that whole scene where he goes to um, Emmett's house and he's just buttering up Emmett's wife. Uh, mm -hmm 
while you knowing that he is just this despicable piece of garbage is perfect. Um, so obviously I think we both like that character a lot. Um, I want to go back though, to the kind of origin of this story, not the very beginning, which we will talk about at the end, but uh, Enos Stussy's death and what happens with the plot as a result of that. So Enos Stussy is the, is Gloria's stepfather. Um, and uh she goes to LA to try and under, unco under uncover, um, you know, his his weird science fiction books and his past. But it ends up being this kind of dead end. Um, what do you think about that journey? And like, what what place does it have in this larger story? So um, it's funny that you say that this it kind of had a narrative dead end because I don't necessarily think. Um, in like long form stories like this, or even in movies, uh, narrative dead ends are a problem if they are told effectively. Uh, I'm going to uh, go back to a controversial topic on this podcast, uh, episode eight, uh, The Last Jedi, where we've had plenty of debates uh, about, um, you know, whether like the movie is quality or not, uh, you know, how I, I, I come down on, but like, I think everybody kind of agrees the Canto Bite stuff is a, is a failed experiment uh, because it is all about the characters like going off and doing the, uh, like trying to have a quest. The quest is completely futile. Um, and uh, as a result, you have a lot of fans saying, well, that was just worthless. It wasn't worthless because it was futile. It was worthless because it ended up being badly told. This yeah. was a futile uh, errand quest that Gloria takes, but it enriched the world. Um, that she lives in, that these characters live in. I think getting out of the Midwest, um, you know, for half an episode or for a full episode, I think was really a nice change of pace. Uh, it, it captured the weirdness of LA. Um, uh, I think it, um, Holly likes to definitely kind of lean into like other inspirational uh, aspects of the Coen brothers uh, filmography Clearly, there's a lot of Barton Fink happening here. Sure. Um, yeah. And like, um, you know, uh, 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 Stussy, um, whatever his original name was, and I can't remember, like his entire story was super heartbreaking. Um, and you kind of got to see while, you know, a character that had wasn't really a character when you first see him as an old man, he's a catalyst. But you kind of get a sense of why he's so bitter and why he's just such a curmudgeon. And it's like, life fucked him over. Um, I thought it was great. What did you think? So um, I'll say that it gave me one of my favorite moments of the season, which was, I think, poking fun at both the fans of Fargo and the show itself, where um, that police officer in LA um, is making fun of Gloria's accent. She's like, I don't yeah. talk like that, do I? And he's like, you're, basically, you're kidding, right? And it's something that I think um, it can be easy to make fun of because it doesn't sound normal to us. Um, and it's a, fun, it's a fun voice to do. But I laughed very hard when, and felt bad for laughing at people who are like, they're just trying to get by and you're kind of a dick to them uh, for doing this, just trying to do their voice in a condescending way. Right. I think I, I did get Canto Bite feels because I am a fan of a dead end. 
but um, there is there's something about the noir structure um, and detective stories where I think it's important that if you have a dead end, you, the viewer, have to experience it as the detective does. I already know that Enos Stussy was killed as an accident. There's no, right. there's nothing for me to discover from this. So it, I'm waiting for her to catch up. And the longer that takes, the more bored I am. Um, you know, there's a there's an amount of time delay that we can allow our characters to still be in the dark before we're just screaming. It doesn't matter. None of this matters. It's, I do. I think you're right, though. I think it is very well told. Um, I also think that it does give the um, um, a nice platform for the planet Y as a story to um, kind of unfold. Um, yeah. So um, the season is kind of focused a lot on um, what it means for something to be true. Um, what do you think this? Uh, what do you think this season is trying to say? You know, you've got things like Nikki and Ray. They've got the blackmail video exchange with uh, yeah. and and um, Emmett. And Nikki says something like, "Something can be a fact, even if it's not." Um, another of my favorite uh, is Varga constantly telling people to surmise, which definitionally means to suppose that something is true without having evidence to confirm it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, another major kind of plot point was Emmett, you know, confessed to a crime and he really did the crime, but planted evidence seems more real and easier than a complex hard truth. So I think related, yeah, related to that too, sorry, Brent, um, is um, the, uh, what we talked about in the, in the, I think the season two podcast is how um, Noah Hawley likes to, to uh, talk a little bit about how, um, you know, focus in on competent police work, but also people who are just looking for shortcuts. And so uh, Gloria's boss, um, uh, Chief uh, Dammerd, is that his name? Yeah. Um, it's yeah. A, uh, Dam Damick, Mo Damick. Um, Mo Damick. You know, when um, he, uh, he first of all just pushes Gloria aside, then he starts believing her a little bit. But then when you had Varga's henchmen um, create this sort of serial killer storyline um, of uh, like all these people named Stussy being killed and then being killed in the same way that uh, Gloria's stepfather was killed and the way that uh, Ray was killed, right. you know? And what it tells me, um, that plus the question you asked is we, when this uh, season takes place, it's, it's, it's 2010, it's sort of like the nascent days of social media. You know, Facebook had been around for a few years, but like more and more people were using it. Twitter had been around for just a couple of years at that point, maybe three years, more and more people are using it. And we started seeing the idea of confirmation bias happening because we were able to choose the information that we wanted to see. You right. know, we, it wasn't about, you know, you don't have three, you know, networks. You don't even just have CNN or just Fox News, MSNBC, newspapers or records. You had these blogs. Blogs had started exploding at this point. Uh, you had folks on, um, uh, you know, on Facebook and Twitter being able to construct their own kind of uh, 
you know, parallel reality. Uh, and we've seen, you know, obviously in the last year, this election's already happened, where you have a lot of people who, you know, uh, still believe that Donald Trump won the presidency. Quite a few people still believe that, even though the evidence is overwhelmingly in front of you uh, that that didn't happen. It's crazy. It's they... Not to get too, you know, into politics about it, but it's crazy that you have to call that evidence. Um, there, there is something about things are like what is true, what is real. And this season, I think, kind of paints a picture that um, it's not even a warning at this point. It's, it's a acknowledgement that we have always, um, as human beings, um, kind of fought against making, uh, dealing with reality and dealing with the truth of stuff. And I think that's that um, the, the two scenes that are kind of most emblematic of it are when Emmett is confessing and he's talking about how he killed his brother, but he's always been killing his brother. Um, yeah. He's been there, there 30 years, you know, since they were like teenagers. And then the other one I think was um, after Ray has died and Cy Feltz goes home and his wife is talking about you know, making butterscotch pudding with her friends and the gals really missed you. And she's taking off his coat and trying to help him. And he just breaks down um, and talks about how he just feels like the world was is different from what he thought it was. And yeah. I, this is very much um, the, the way that Holly is trying to get at the way we experience truth is that we've never, uh, we create stories, but we don't really have a lot of people out there who are trying to figure out what's right. Yeah, uh, kind of linked to that too. Um, when, um, um, oh God, what's Ray's girlfriend's name? Um, Nikki. Nikki, thank you. When Nikki says, you know, uh, you know, there's the truth and then there's the truth when it's all about making the, you know, the sex tape video to implicate Emmett, when Ray, you know, puts on the bad wig and tries to <clears throat> hide his, uh, hide his paunch. Um, and when Emmett's wife sees the video, she immediately, immediately believes it. And right. it's because it is there. And that tells me that there was some strain in their marriage for whatever reason, she was insecure about, about Emmett, uh, you know, it might've been because, and this is going to sound really mean. It might've been because of her weight. It might've been, you know, because Emmett's this like good looking, successful guy. Why is he with me? Um, you know, it's really easy for her to imagine somebody of someone in stature being able to, um, you know, uh, uh, cheat on her, commit adultery on her. Uh, and she doesn't even let him explain. She just completely believes it. And so uh, it goes back to the point of like when we're faced with something um, and if it, it, it confirms our priors, then we, then we believe it, whether it's real or not. Yeah, I did think that it, um, on first viewing, it was a jarring character moment because she knows about Ray and about how they look like twins. Uh, I mean, they are they are twins, and so why yeah. why why not give a little bit of like skepticism first? But there was something about the you know on the second viewing about seeing how their marriage kind of seems like it's perfect. Um, and maybe maybe she is a little bit poorly written as kind of this like stock wife who kind of 
fills whatever plot position she needs. But I do yeah. like the idea that she has some underlying insecurities that would help motivate her decisions. I wish they kind of like explored those out a little bit more. Um, so there's, there's certainly more to talk about with the nature of truth, um, but I wanna move to um, the nature of um, uh, reality as far as business goes and wealth goes. So mm -hmm. there's a lot in here, and I think it, it kind of comes together at the end when the IRS agent points out that what um, VM Varga does, which is basically goes and gets a bunch of loans to really build, build up the business and make it much, much larger, um, and then to def uh, and also to pay out huge bonuses to the executives and then let it collapse isn't technically illegal as long as you pay all your taxes. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about, you know, the ways that like this show tries to talk about business and wealth? Like I thought a very illustrative point that Varga made was that the way a business could shield itself from harm is by making itself bigger, not smaller. Um, what do you think of that uh, with respect to? So two things. One, um, I, uh, it's interesting you say um, a business can shield itself by making itself bigger rather than smaller. I think of um, the old adage of it's like, if you make the lie big enough, people will believe it. Um, and so when you're trying to deceive people, uh, trying to com com commit fraud, like the more bombastic it is, more people think it's real because like who could possibly make this up? Yeah, that's one. Two, um, again, the show takes place in 2010. It's on the heels of the Great Recession. Uh, a lot of people were still, you know, reeling from that. Um, and there was this um, grassroots uprising um, from both the left and the right, although the right was a little bit more manufactured, of you had these people that fucked over the economy. And if they were high enough, they... Uh, they were relatively unscathed uh, in the aftermath. They were, they were not held accountable. There was one person, I think, who suffered criminal prosecution for any of the things that happened during the financial crisis. Yeah. Mean, meanwhile, millions of Americans lost their jobs, lost their homes, lost their uh, retirement savings, uh, lost the ability to have access to health care. Um, and, um, you know, I think it was sort of, it's really kind of smart now in retrospect that Holly set this, uh, season in 2010, uh, to show, you know, even, you know, in the aftermath of, uh, one of the worst financial crises in a, in a couple of generations, um, that there are still bad actors out there, uh, that knew how to game the system and be able to, you know, overinflate a business and then like leave it for, you know, leave it for dead and then leave all the people below like a certain like threshold, income threshold, management threshold, whatever, uh, just holding the bag. Yeah, there's certainly, I think it was um, also smart that part of the initial um, way that, that the way that VM Varga got into their his fingers into their business um, was that a year ago, they were financially suffering. And if you don't do the math, you just think like, oh, they were a year ago financially suffering. The fact that they didn't harp on the fact that it was a result of the recession, I think was mm -hmm. an interesting move. Um, yeah. 
I also um, really like that the way that they've structured the story. Um, VM Varga has this kind of philosophy that the rich are people who are creating stuff and doing stuff and they're making things um, and poor people resent them for it, that they mm -hmm. have envy and um, that they are just wrong about the nature of society. But the way that the story is set up is to be in the perspective of one of these kind of bankers, like, or one of these um, financial uh, organizations that you are, are taking out a bunch of loans and then you're giving yourself these huge bonuses and then you uh, bankrupt the business and uh, sell it for parts. And you don't see all of the thousands of victims that are created as a result of that process. For you, it is a numbers game. For, for right. these investors, they're just getting huge payouts, but it really does mean something to someone somewhere. Just because you can't see them um, doesn't make you less of a monster for it. Maybe the show could have highlighted that side of it more, but I don't know how they would have. I think it was interesting though to, to put us in their position and still you know, kind of be condemning of someone like Varga's attitude. Um, maybe one way to maybe one way to deal with that, um, you know, they had the uh, sort of the main lobby receptionist who was in a number of scenes uh, at the company that uh, Emmett owns that VM Varga sort of ends up like taking over, um, you know, as a kind of a, in a shadowy way, like just have a scene of her like being laid off, not being able to pay her bills, something just to yeah. you know, maybe like kind of a throwaway scene that not not throwaway in that sense, but like a scene where. You, you know, it's just really quick, but you see like, this is the, uh, you know, real effect, the practical, practical effect of somebody who's just trying to come in and do their job Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yeah. I think it would have also, uh, it probably couldn't have been Cy. It would probably have to be Emmett, but having something where we see that character go from being a hostage to the captor, um, that like he's dismissive of that person losing their job or, yeah. He doesn't, he wants to ignore all the circumstance around it rather than him. You know, he and Sai are kind of like this puppet that Varga has just shoved his hand into and is operating uh, with his, you know, creepy, gross fingers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Varga also talked about what it means to be wealthy. Um, what did you think about his idea of? him being an economy class flyer, him hiding his wealth. And uh, like, there's also one of his assistants, Mimo, who I believe said something about being extraordinarily rich, but they don't live that way. Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to what you said about how he views the uh, non makers, you know, the, you know, the hoi polloi, the plebeians, um, that when they see wealth, they will at some point come and try to break down the gates. They're literally the barbarians of the gate uh, of the people they view as taking wealth away from them. Yeah. And by Varga hiding in plain sight, wearing the cheap suits, you know, um, with the bad haircut, flying economy, as you said, um, you know, it's his way of, of, being uh, um, 
of, of, of being able to hide in plain sight. Because for him, wealth is not buying stuff and having stuff. Wealth is freedom to be able to move around without consequence. And there is a very big difference uh, in, in how you view money, whether it's like there for you to, uh, it's whether you, for you to like consume things or to give you the freedom to live the life that you really want. Yeah, I did think it was fascinating or I uh, actually funny when Varga walks into Emmett's house and he's Emmett's angry. Why the fuck are you here? This is like dinner time. And Varga's like, I got papers for you to sign. Uh, and Emmett's like, I don't want to sign any more papers. Varga says, I'm going to make you rich. And Emmett says, look around. I already am rich. And Varga looks at the house and he goes, you're not rich. I thought yeah. it was such a condescending dismissive thing coming from someone who is basically a slug with bones in it. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it, it, the, I think that they really, the hiding in plain sight thing, um, I, I think that that came through very nicely when you got to some of the, the actual shadier dealings, side dealings that Varga had to do with Nikki, who Nikki is, you know, was able with, Mr. Wrench to steal a lot of documents from Varga. So she demands $2 million ransom. They go to a hotel area where Varga wants to hire her. And she really just doesn't, she also understands what freedom means and doesn't want to give it up. She doesn't want to be his little puppet uh, for pay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, Obviously, he tries to, you know, kill her, but she's got Mr. Wrench, so she subdues that plan. He adds another couple of zeros because he just sees these financial transactions. But the hiding in plain sight was so delightful when he revealed as one of his moves that so many people around in the, this hotel lobby are dressed and look exactly like him. Uh, yeah. I thought that was just a delightful... That was a, you don't often get to see chess moves um, being played out so well on screen, but it also is perfectly emblematic of the, his idea of like, how do I avoid consequences for my actions? I become yeah. like everyone else. Um, so let's see. Um, there's a lot of mystical elements to this. Uh, once again, um, there's, I think going back to that sci-fi story of the robot who keeps saying, I can help, but that's all mm -hmm. he does. He just observes and says, I can help. And it really resonates with Gloria because she's got this weird problem that automated sensors don't detect her. What did you think of that? Um, did it ever come across as being too on the nose? Um, what do you make of it? At first, I, you know, again, to go back to what you were saying earlier about how rewatching the season kind of helped me like it more. And, you know, at first um, seeing, um, you know, the fact that like sensors don't detect her, it was like, okay, this is just too cute by half. Uh, but then you see the scene where the um, other police officer, um, what's her name? Um, uh, Lopez, uh, officer Lopez. Lo officer Lopez, where they like, you know, form this bond and, um, she like they have this drink at the bar and you know she just gives Gloria this hug 
and like you just see Gloria just like like the facade goes down, she just it melts. Was so cute. It was really cute and very does endearing. This, just she does the sad person thing of like her arms like just stay down while Officer Lopez hugs her, and then eventually yeah. she's able to connect. Yeah, and I think um, they don't really delve into this too much, but Gloria's had a tough go at stuff. Like her husband left her for a man. You know, uh, they have a kid together. Her stepfather just died. She's effectively demoted because the police force is being absorbed into a larger police force. You know, um, she's, um, you know, when this story is taking place, she's probably like a 34, 35 year old woman, um, you know, kind of in the prime of her life. And like all this stuff is just not going her way. And um, it just takes someone to show a little humanity, a little compassion for her to feel like a human being again. Uh, I, I like it when, um, when Holly shows that humanist side because there are times when he gets too impressed with his narrative tricks that you lose sight of it. This is a big problem I have with Legion uh, after the first season. Seasons two and three of Legion uh, on FX. Um, like it, it, it's, I felt like I was watching like a really beautiful, surreal painting without yeah. any kind of connection to the characters. Um, and the fact that like, I got this connection with Gloria, I even had a connection. I ended up having a connection with Emmett and Ray, a relationship I didn't really enjoy at first. I didn't like the stunt casting of having Ewan McGregor play both. I certainly don't like it when um, David Simon did it on the deuce uh, with uh, what's his face, um, but um, yeah. James Franco. Um, but um, the scene that crystallized it for me is um, when um, Emmett finally like goes to Ray's place and he kind of um, uh, kind of um, um, you know uh, like just gives up he's like you win you win I'm gonna give this to you and then later on when he confesses everything and he says you know um, Ray had a point like he did I convinced him. him, he tricked, yeah, I convinced him to take the car. You know, this kid who was a little overweight, really shy, not great with girls. I told him this car would help you get the ladies. It would help you get laid. I'll just take this like little stamp off of your hands instead, knowing that that stamp would be the uh, seed for his wealth moving forward. Um, like that, like, showing that the humanist side of both both Emmett and Ray um, really made me uh, appreciate the season a lot more. So I think that um, going back to the Gloria not being able to get into 7-Elevens, um, <laughs> to me, I think the one tweak I would have made to it would be that she doesn't talk about it. That she doesn't ask people, hey, do you ever have this problem? Or I think it would have been more impactful if we, if, Holly gave his viewers a little bit more credit here um, that we could have put together that she wasn't being seen. So that by the time she says she feels like this robot, we would be able, we would have connected for ourselves. Oh, this whole automation thing isn't just like some bug that's going on. You know, it's, it is about her feeling like society has accepted her. Um, 
<clears throat> so you just mentioned something with the Emmett and Ray. Um, there was another kind of mystical element. And I'm curious if you think it was Varga or if you think that it's just, um, you know, or what, what you make of it. But so as after Sai has been poisoned using um, Varga's mother's tea recipe, uh, hey. he starts seeing, Ray, uh, Emmett starts seeing um, all these reminders of Ray around him. He, he sees the, uh, the damaged car at the hospital. His, um, his office is redecorated with the two cent stamp or whatever that stamp is that um, is the last stamp as part of the collection all over. Um, he really feels like he's going crazy. He initially blames Nikki. I'm a little surprised he didn't blame Varga Varga doesn't respond to any of it. His actual initial question when Ray talks to him about, or when Emmett talks to him about it is, you went to the hospital to visit Psy, not, is any of this surprising? Um, do you think that this was something Varga did? Do you think that it's something that's uh, like a ghost haunting um, uh, Emmett? Where does this come from? Oh, I think it's definitely Varga. Um, I think Varga was trying to drive a wedge between Emmett and Sai. Um, he needed to isolate Emmett so that Emmett would just be dependent on Varga. And like having um, Sai as his confidant, driving that, like creating that like fissure, creating that that wedge was completely part of his master plan. Well, so wh where does where does uh, putting a car at the hospital come in? Where, do, where how does the the stamp with Ray come in. Like, it, to me, that seems more like you're trying to make this person unaware of what the next step is, that you're trying to rattle them. Um, rather than being, like, that part doesn't seem like the wedge. The wedge was him actually saying, hey, it's kind of interesting how this set of facts lines up that uh, Sai is trying to push you out of the company. Um, yeah. The, the, all this other stuff, it more just seems like generic, you know, I'm trying to spook this person and make them not very clearly thinking about what's coming next. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe, oh, maybe. I, think, I think the more metaphysical, mystical stuff, and I know we're going to get into it, is the uh, Ray Wise's character, uh, sort of the man in black. Yeah, let's talk um, about that. Yeah, I, I, well, one, uh, anytime you have Ray Wise on screen, I'm immediately just compelled. I think he's just a very magnetic uh, personality and just, I just enjoy watching him and everything he's done, including Twin Peaks, Mad Men, you know, you name it. Um, he, I bet that guy uh, smells like, like tobacco and oak. Like, I bet uh, he's like some rich, smoky quality when you're just around him. Yeah, it's like tobacco, oak, and, uh, 18 year old scotch um, yeah but um i i really just i enjoyed his interaction with gloria when she goes to la and like how he sort of ran into her again at that bar when uh officer what's his face is hitting on her by making fun of her accent and then um the uh the bowling alley in the middle of nowhere when nikki and um uh nikki and uh Mr. Wrench, you know, are um, suffering from their wounds after being hunted down um, by uh, Varga's men. 
And you have, I think, the cutest kitten I've ever seen on screen. Uh, that's also named Ray. That like, you know, he gives her, and uh, it's just, um, it's such a weird thing. But it worked better for me than the UFO in season two. Uh, I think I said when we when we uh, when we did the uh, uh, talk about the second season of Fargo, how the UFO kind of represents that there is this otherworldly force in this universe that doesn't really care what these people are doing. This is sort of the mirror, the mirror image of that, where you have this otherworldly force that does care about what is happening. Uh, it is like Old Testament God versus New Testament God, um, where um, you know uh, he clearly is trying to save the protagonists in the story, but giving them refuge. And then when um, what's the Russian guy's name? Um, Vargas Vargas Yuri. Henchman. Yuri. Yuri. Yuri comes in and uh, we are, uh, we can infer that um, he makes Yuri face his, uh, his victims when he was like the, the Cossack in, 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 in Russia. But it's like, it's not just his victims. It's like the victims of all the Cossacks. Uh, it feels yeah, because so of like that, the, the scene where the, the woman in black and white and the, the people behind her was clearly from like, you know, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, maybe even before that. No, no, it's much before that. So I think that's supposed to be because um, uh, Paul Moraine explains to Nikki, tells, talks about the massacre of the Jews in Uman in 1768. So there's like 20,000 people who lost their lives, um, you know, as a result of this kind of brutal genocide. Uh, yeah. But Uman became part of Russia, and um, there is this kind of like, I think there is the there is the personal accounting for Yuri, who was the person mentioned at the beginning of the show as having murdered his girlfriend, um, but he was never found guilty for it. And the cultural um, um, accounting for being part of the kind of being a part of a group of people who is proud to have done something so atrocious um i thought it was you know kind of the most lynchian of uh yeah the, the season um i thought the, the bowling alley in general was a very interesting kind of callback because that is like that is the big lebowski through and through and yeah. having this wizened kind of graying uh, uh father-like figure uh, it was Sam Elliott and um, the Big Lebowski, and um, you know they're they're able to provide this kind of meta commentary. I think it for me it was a little bit um, too. It was too blunt. It's a uh, it, it's 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 too much. But I do like this. Um, you know, Paul is this being the um, kind of a guardian angel type character that yeah. you know he's. He's there to protect Nikki and demand help her demand justice from uh, the people who have wronged her uh, or the people who do wrong in general. And then, you know, you know, coming down as kind of a hammer on Yuri. Um, and then when he was with um, uh, Gloria at the bar, he acted as this kind of protector um, from someone who is a true scumbag. Um, I don't think if there's anything else I have to say about that. I don't know. D you didn't feel like it was too much? Like, okay, it's a bowling alley that has like, it, it has sherry 
and it has like different cocktail classes. That sounds like the kind of bowling alley I'd love to go to. Um, again, I think you're not wrong. It is a very blunt um, storytelling device. Uh, and again, yeah, you're right. The the bowling alley is evocative of the Big Lebowski because Holly wants to kind of like hit his some of his favorite you know, sort of moments from various Coen Brothers films, but it still worked for me. Um, I, and I don't, I, I just think mostly because I like, at first, like I was sort of ambivalent about Nikki and then I, I really sort of respected her intelligence and, you know, she really did love Ray in her own way. And I started rooting for her. And, um, you know, when she and Mr. Wrench were being hunted down and like, that is, I think one of the, some of the most, viscerally exciting and like still like harrowing scenes I think I've seen in any season of Fargo thus far uh that giving them a little bit of reprieve just helped me as a viewer catch my breath yeah yeah I mean I like it I, I, I don't I, I would say it's better than what you know some alternative could be it's good it's good it's just so it's blatantly screaming like hey this place is purgatory or something like that yeah like, oh for sure so, did you like did you oh like God. Mr. Wrench coming back? I think I, I have got problems with the way that they do Mr. Wrench because he seems like a very interesting character that I like seeing and I enjoy that he's got this kind of three season continuity where he at least exists. But mm -hmm. it feels like it feels like diversity without inclusion. You've got a deaf character. It really only creates problems for people being able to like effectively communicate with this person. And you don't develop him as a character. I think that the most we could say about him is that he's got some sense of justice, but it's all based off of like his relative to position. Um, yeah. Like he's a person who will do the job as long as it's done right. Um, but there's not much else there for him as a character. And I really wish, you know, I think the actor does a really good job. Um, I wish there was more. What do you think? I, I mean, I like him. I like the character. Um, you know, I thought I liked that he and Nikki became this sort of like badass pair towards the end of it, but it almost felt like he was an add-on to the season to make create continuity between the first and the third season or even the second season. That's I mean, second season, actually second season, you didn't really need that. Cause you had, you know, Lou Solverson was the sort of the continuity between the two and yeah, a younger Mr. Wrench is there at the end of season two, but in season three, you know, uh, I, I know that like Holly wants to try to make these all live in the same universe and they do. It just felt like, this was kind of a stretch. There might have been another way they could have done it. I don't know because I think that I I thought of I think of it as more mechanical that what you need in order for Nikki to have an escape. Maybe you maybe you don't even have the Mister Wrench character, but if you want her to be hunted down, she needs some advantage. And Mister Rent, you need a character that has a very known specific set of skills. Um, and is is capable of being a protector. And I think that it's someone like Mr. Wrench is a nice plug-in because he's already been pre-sold by season one. Uh, yeah. But but that to me seems like more more craven. It's it's not a that's not a benefit for the character, but I get why that they use that. It's like, oh, I knew that guy's good at his job. 
yeah, it's it's a shortcut, and it's a shortcut that I didn't necessarily mind. It just felt like, oh, okay, this is how this connects, and there's really no other way that the show connects. That whereas um, season one and two clearly have, you know, um, with the the massacre, the Sioux Falls massacre is referenced several times in season one, so there's a reason for season two to exist. Uh, season three, as much as you and I both enjoy it, it's almost like, well, why does this really exist? Um, I don't mind that it exists, uh, 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 but clearly it's almost like an afterthought that, you know, Noah Hawley had. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, going back to why it's the best versus worst, I think there's something about seasons one and two that promise so much bloodshed that season three very early on does not give you. Um, there is a relatively scant number of deaths for the majority of the show. And yeah. then suddenly stack up, you know, when that, uh, when Nikki and Mr. Wrench take down Varga's gang. Um, yeah. I think that watching it the first time makes it, it makes it feel like a slower pace, but I kind of like it in retrospect because it, it definitely adds a different flavor for how the show can work. Yeah. Um, so in the last part, we're going to get into, you know, a lot of our speculation. So the first thing do you think Ray is a cat now? <laughs> what, what would you like uh, to believe? Um, sure. I was raised Hindu and, you know, Hindus believe in reincarnation. So why not? I like the idea. I, I don't think that there's anything, there's nothing malicious about it. There's no religious symbolism, like it's a punishment or that, Ray did wrong, even though Ray most certainly has done wrong. It's almost like it's um, it's a transactional nature of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's coming back as a cat. Makes total sense. All right. So with that, let's talk about the beginning and the end. So yeah. the, the first scene and the last scene are both dimly lit interrogation rooms. Both are about people accused of crimes. And in the first... A man who hasn't done something wrong will be punished despite being innocent. And the second, a man who has done something wrong may get off despite being guilty. Before we get into what we think the actual ending was, what do you make of this being the bookend of the season? Uh, I think it's all about who has uh, power, influence, and resources to be able to, um, to either face justice or escape justice. Uh, it is a cynical but very necessary, um, very necessary um, lesson to impart uh, that you can be innocent, but if there are the the you know forces are stacked against you and you don't have the ability or the resources to defend yourself, you're fucked. If you're guilty and you have all the money in the world, you have all the influence in the world, um, there's a chance that you may get off scot free again putting politics back into it, Donald Trump will leave the White House soon and he's going to be the target of a lot of criminal and civil investigations, some of which have already started. But, you know, because of his um, money, power and influence, there is a very good chance that he's going to be able to escape justice. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's uh, an important, it's an important lesson to impart. What do you think? The, there's something about these two scenes um, that is so crisp. I think it's that there's this, I mean, it's very good 
straightforward dialogue, but it reflects a lot of conflict. Um, because in the first scene, you don't know anything about Yuri. Um, all you have to go off of is the nature of um, the state under um, a, you know, under this communist regime that whatever the state says is true. And if, if you say the state is wrong, you're wrong. Um, yep. and so even if something is obviously not correct, the state will enforce their version of the truth versus someone like Varga. And you've seen all the wrong things that he's done. You know that Gloria is right. You know that he should be put in jail. Um, and if he has a very good chance of getting off. To me, it feels like this is these two scenes are a excellent way that Noah Hawley is trying to create his own parables. You know, he often loves to use the stories um, that that people have passed down about that that come out with some kind of lesson. And I think that both of these serve as a different form of that parable. Um, yeah. In the, per in the first one, it's like, don't be the person who's caught under the thumb of the state. Be the state instead. And then the yeah. second one, it's it's this exact awful lesson of if you're someone with enough money, you or or connections, you can shield yourself from um, any criminal prosecution. Um, so do you think that Varga will be let go as a, this is like a personal question. And then an additionally, artistic choice of side, what do you think is the value? Uh, what's the purpose of Noah Hawley not answering that question? Um, I think he gets caught. And I think it's because if you look at the first two seasons, um, their morality plays, season three is a morality play in, in and of itself too. And um, while the good guys, the heroes, the protagonists aren't left unscathed, uh, the antagonists do, you know, uh, are they are held accountable? Season one, Lauren Malvo is, ends up getting killed by Gus. Um, you know, season two, the uh, the uh, what's the name of the family? The the Gerhards. They end yeah. up getting wiped out. Uh, and uh, Mike Milligan, uh, while he is technically successful, is put into a prison of his own uh, in like being in that office. And so I think if you follow like the thematic through lines of seasons one and two, that means that that Varga is going to get caught. The ambiguity, um, I don't really know what to think of it. I don't know why um, Noah Hawley ended up uh, doing that. Um, I think it's a narrative trick he wanted to try um, to like just uh, have the viewers guess and then impose whatever they believe uh, their worldview is on what the ending should be. Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer backwards. I think going off what you were saying, that the reason to do it is all throughout this season, we see people take things that we've seen that, that, are, that are facts by the show's construction um, and twist them around so that they work for whatever purposes they have. Um, you know, the facts are, the facts don't have to be true for them to be true. Or, uh, you know, Varga saying, creating this, fictional story where Psy is conspiring with uh, Ray to overthrow Emmett. 
that when we are given a set of facts, we also have to tell whatever story we want. And I think it's a little parcel that Noah Hawley is passing on to the viewer to actually participate in this game of like, well, what, what truly happened? Um, and I think it's a, I, I like it a lot as an exercise in forcing the listener to kind of reckon with, you know, the things that they saw are true and whether or not th those things would pay off in the way that they want. So I think he gets off. I think that it, number one, it continues the theme for Gloria of not like this world never fully satisfying her. But I also think Varga, part of his whole operating system is that he knows how to shield himself from any kind of contingency. And if I, if I have to believe, you know, if I'm trying to make this evaluation about what really happened, I think that his ability to uh, manipulate systems is much better than truth, the, the truth that Gloria knows. So I think he, I think he goes free, um, which kind of, you know, which really sucks. You know, maybe you're not, yeah. you're op more optimistic and you want Gloria to have that win. Yeah, I just, I, I just think um, he, Holly does kind of wrap up his stories while there's a sense of melancholy that they are, they're parables unto themselves. And with a parable, there's a you know morality being told. And like this person who committed all these atrocities was the Mephistopheles character, you know, um, cannot, cannot uh, continue to be unscathed. So I, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know. What do you think of, speaking of endings, what did you think of Mr. Wrench coming in and killing Emmett, you know, like kind of in that five years later frame as well? Yeah, I thought that was a, it was an interesting choice um, because I think about all the victims of these financial crimes and even having Psy there trying, struggling to say things are good when he's clearly mm -hmm. broken from this poison that he's been given. Uh, yeah. Seeing Emmett thrive in those conditions, it's infuriating. Um, uh, I think that I think that that choice reflects more of a desire that there is some form of justice, that at least Emmett gets what he deserves. But in my mind, it's you know it's it's not bad. I don't I don't think I hate it. I think it's I think it's it makes sense for Mister Wrench as much as we know about him, which is very little. That you know, um, Nikki says, "All I want is the brother." that he would also take that on as a mantle after he found out that she had died. Um, yeah. It's justice, but, you know, I, I wonder if it's not more for the audience than for, you know, real storytelling purposes. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, my, yeah, uh, again, I didn't hate it either. I just, um, I wondered what the, the narrative decision to have that be five years later. I get, I got the, you know, Gloria as an agent of DHS, uh, you know, finally catching up to Varga, you know, it taking time to do that. Um, I just think someone like Mr. Wrench, like, I don't understand why he would have waited that long. There's, it wouldn't have taken him that long to find Emmett. Emmett, like, was not somebody who was in hiding. He was there in plain sight. 
Uh, was he waiting till like you know everything died down? I don't know. I guess we oh, maybe I, I needed I, an explanation. Your your problem is the the time. I, I thought the time. That's fine. That's like lie in wait, let people feel comfortable. Mister Wrench surely has other things he has to do. Um, he certainly has to like like figure out what to do with all that money because obviously other other than being for groceries, he's got to like he's got to exchange it in some way, get it laundered. Um, I, I'm yeah. He seems like a man who who uh, is fine taking his time. Yeah, uh, I don't know. That was the only thing that like I thought was a little weird for me. But overall, I didn't I didn't mind that. All right. So very last, uh, how do you rank the seasons now? Oh man. Um... I'll say that I think that. On second watch, this season stock went up considerably. I, like you, was annoyed with the stunt casting of um, Ewan McGregor for two roles. Seeing it again, I, I mean, it's just a credit to him as an actor, but you see a lot more of the subtleties between the two characters. Yeah. Uh, you under, it, I think it becomes more necessary and integral to the plot that they're twins. Um, and there's this like, this whole similarity confusion thing that goes on throughout the script that they kind of have to be twins. Um, so I'd probably say I, it's really hard, you know, going back because you find parts that you didn't like before that you like now or parts that you liked before that you don't like now. I'd probably say it's one, three, two. Wow. You like three more than two. Um, let me think about my ranking for a second, but uh, uh, I definitely appreciated the, um, you know, the stunt casting more as well. When uh, I saw Ray pretending to be Emmett at the bank, because it's like, it's, yeah. it's layering uh, like these sort of different characters and you saw it uh, happen. Um, did you ever watch Orphan Black? Uh, no, I didn't, but people recommended it. Yeah, uh, the show kind of like went off the rails, but uh, the, the main actress, um, you know, uh, she, you know, it's all about her clones. And there were times where she would be one clone playing another clone and you realize just how an amazing actress she is. Yeah. So Ian McGregor being able to, to, to you know, uh, convey uh, that it's one character playing another is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I still think uh, this show... Uh, I would rank this still one, two, three. Um, I like one slightly more than two, but three has moved up in my estimation in this rewatch and even this conversation you and I have just had. Um, but they're all very close together. Uh, yeah. Like one, two, and three are like, you know, there isn't this drop off um, that, you know, other shows have, uh, especially anthology shows have uh, like this one, but, um, you know, absolutely, absolutely quality. But uh, wait till we get to uh, talking about season four, which will be coming out soon. Yeah, I think the lesson is um, uh, Holly benefits from repeat watches and not binge watches. <laughs> don't don't try and watch all of it together. Uh, save yourself piecemeal and watch the same season multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but we've been Homo Superior. Uh, this has been our review of season three of Fargo. Uh, thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.